0: Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, please. We've had a few people ask, and uh, Pastor Dan and I will be keeping the t- same teaching schedule so that you guys, uh, in case you're wondering what's going on. So, chapter 10. Last week, Pastor Dan taught on benevolence, giving being kind, being a giving individual. But this chapter in in Corinthians is uh, much more than that. That's just one section of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. It was a church, as we've said, that fairly new Christians, not brand new, but living in a pretty opulent corner of the world Adopted and adapted to a lot of those worldly things and so as he came as they came into the church There were some things that were just not right and how many of you know that Maturing in the Lord is a lifetime venture. It's not a one-time thing So that's why we constantly need to hear the Word of God be reminded of the things of the Word of the Lord And, um, you know, I'm all for, and you have some pastors who the only thing that they will teach are uh, themes and popular, uplifting teachings. But one of the reasons why we're kind of in the shape that we're in today as a world is because everybody gets a trophy, Doesn't matter what you do, everybody gets a trophy. We're so afraid of offending someone or even disciplining our children in some ways. We we have the thing, well, you know, little Johnny, you shouldn't do that. And he's cussing her out and saying all kinds of things. And, And that's why for teachers even, man, the abuse that teachers are taking these days from children who have not been disciplined. So, the word of God is supposed to discipline us and how many of you know to become a disciple there needs to be discipline, which means yes, you give the positive, you see the positive, you know the positive and we preach the positive, but once in a while there's a time for correction there's a time for us checking ourselves and saying, am I living the way God wants me to live? Am I doing the things that the Lord would have me do? Is my life an honor to the Lord? Do I honor him with the things that I do? So the chapters, first and second Corinthians, they have been a little mixture of absolutely everything. Paul had to write to them to correct some things that were going on in the church. There were folks in the church that were just blinking at those sins that were going on, some of them pretty heavy duty, and um, just pretending as though it was okay. And there are just some things that are not okay. And one of the things that Pastor Dan and I talk about a lot, and that is we as Christians, Christians right now, many, many Christians, they're, they're kind of stuck in a place. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to help. Well, first of all, pray. Pray, pray, pray like you've never prayed before. Don't don't give that up. But I mean, they don't know whether to be proactive, to be non-active, to be to say anything or to not say anything. But I say that just so you'll know you're not alone. Many, many Christians are in that same spot. But in the middle of all this, And we've never really known persecution. Christians in America have really never known persecution. But I think we're going to see some of that. But not to be afraid of that. That's just seeing God's plan unfold. That's normal. Jesus said, don't be, you know, surprised that they hate you because they hated me first. Don't be surprised if they don't like you because they, they didn't like me first. So, we are in good company, so to speak, if we find ourselves in that spot but back to to the word here in corinthians it's it 's been a letter of a whole lot of things, and as we begin to close, we see that Paul is moving to kind of a, a almost a, a bit of a defensive posture because there are those that are questioning. His discipleship whether he should even be a, a legitimate disciple you know who has the right you don't have the right to say to that to me because you're not a legitimate apostle and sometimes we do that to each other God will send along a messenger to 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 say hey that shouldn't be in your life or are you sure you're happy with the way you're living and what's our reaction thank you so much You know, thank you for correcting me. Thank you for pointing that out and giving me a course correction. That's not our response, is it? What is our response? Who are you? (laughs) Who are you to tell me what to do? Mm -hmm. So Paul kind of finds himself in that spot. He had encouraged them to keep their promise about helping the poor church Um, in Jerusalem. They they kind of suffered the heaviest persecution there. But the key to the whole teachings in chapter 8 and 9 is actually in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where it says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sakes he became poor. That through your excuse me, that through his poverty we might become rich. Okay, now if you've been listening to um, a guy whose initials are Joel Olstein, if you've been listening to him, you might see that as money. That's rich. Being rich in life doesn't necessarily mean money. In fact, sometimes it means not having money the more that we have the more we're a slave to the things that we have and although we might think we have a hard life we're still americans we still live in america and the reality of it is if most of us and you guys have heard me say this before if we went into our spare bedroom or went into our garage you probably have things there you haven't touched in two years three years four years things that somebody else might not even be able to afford they, they wouldn't know what it was like to even have something like that. So we are still very, very blessed. But our model is Jesus. Rich beyond all comparison of anything in the world. He was living with his father in eternity. And yet he took those robes off and put on the robes of a servant. So in that sense, he came down to be spit on, to be persecuted, to be made fun of so that you and I could have eternal life. So really, we're talking about a servant, being a servant. If you go back through everything that's been said through this, you're going to find that, that the key topic is probably learning how to serve, learning how to be a gracious Christian who has a giving heart, a giving heart to serve, a giving heart to help out wherever they possibly can. That's that's kind of what we're we're talking about. So pray as we begin chapter ten. Pray with me, please. Father, we're so grateful. We complain and yet we're blessed. When our reference point is just Being blessed, it's hard to understand how some folks in the world have to live. And yet, Father, you've blessed us above and beyond the material things, you've blessed us with eternity. You've blessed us with forgiveness, Lord, to be able to lay your head on the pillow at night and know that you've been forgiven. Other people may not have forgiven you yet, but forgiven us yet, but you have forgiven us. And you've given us a new life. So, Father, we are so grateful for that. May you open our eyes, open our hearts to see and hear the things that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, Paul is being accused, he's being ridiculed, excuse me, he's being made fun of, and he's being, saying that he's not really an apostle, because we know he come along a little later than the other guys, but we have the Word of God to show us that was from God. We, We saw what God did in that miracle in bringing him in. Now Paul, from what the history records that we can gather on him, he was of a small build. And he wasn't very pretty to look at. He he wouldn't have been on the cover of GQ magazine or whatever the coolest magazine is going on at this point in time. So he was accused of writing powerful letters but saying that his appearance was kind of wimpy. Now I I want you, (laughs) sometimes we can go over something and not get the full impact of this. This is the Apostle Paul, right? This is, this is a man of great faith. A man of, to whom we owe much credit for, for much of the Bible. And, and these people have lost the big picture. You see, that's what we do when we're accused. We go into a defensive mode. We have the, who are you to tell me? I'm a Christian just like you're a Christian. You've got no right to tell me these things. And, and he's, he loves them. You guys remember in the early chapters, he was saying, I, I kind of gave birth to you guys. You know, it's because of our team coming in and leading you to Jesus. You, you kind of, you're children. And if you love your children, you correct them. If you love them, you teach them what to do, how to do it. Some people call that micromanaging. But if you're the parent and you want your children to do something right, that's called training. That's called discipleship. That's not micromanaging, that is training. It's helping people. If you've got somebody that's doing the same thing wrong over and over and over and over again, you must train them on how to do things correctly. That's what the Word of God is for us. It's training, it's discipling us, it's teaching us. Paul loved them and he's trying to help them grow in the Lord through that training. Now, a true man or woman of God will often be unjustly accused. If you're living for Jesus, I mean truly living for Jesus, you will be accused you will be ridiculed, you will be made fun of, and an entire nation will call you deplorable. But sometimes it'll come out of your own church. If I ask for a show of hands, which I'm not going to do, and I ask you how many have been accused or ridiculed or whatever it might be from your own church, whether it's previously or whatever, there would be a lot of hands. You know why? Because ministry is messy. It's messy. It's messy. Because you're dealing with people like us, have you ever had another Christian come up and, and and question you about something you did or something you said, and and maybe they're right, but you're, you in your heart you're going, what's your motivation for this? Are you trying to prove that I'm a sinner? where you're expecting perfection because you're not going to get it with us but we like things all tied in a nice little bundle and you know all put together and we like them shiny and a little ribbon on it we don't like to deal with the blood if you go into a, a, a surgery center, if you go into surgery room, there's a lot of blood. I mean, they even got the nurses over there sucking it out, right, while they're cutting and it's flowing and it's you know, We don't like it. We want, to, we want to see them after the stitches are put in and it's all healed up and, but the reality of it is, guys, it's a hospital. A church should be a hospital. You come in wounded and all cut up and all broken up and hopefully you hear the word of God and you begin to heal and you begin to mature. You begin to grow. You begin to to understand what God wants for us and we begin to heal. And then all of a sudden we're the one, you know, using the tool that's sucking up the blood. We're the one putting the stitches in. We're the ones trying to help people mature and help them to grow. It's because we love each other. But these folks, they're doing the same thing that most people do. He's talking to church folks, remember this. Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, so he's talking to church folks. But we have to be careful as Christians to not use worldly or carnal methods in our response to people. Now, what's the first thing you want to do when somebody accuses you? If you're human, probably defend yourself. But the reality of it is we really have no defense. Our only defense is Jesus Christ. That That's our only defense. Our only defense is, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I make mistakes, but I love Jesus and he's working on me. And I'm trying. And I'm trying. I'm trying to do better at what i am supposed to do but maturity takes a lifetime it doesn't happen in a week or two weeks i think sometimes we look at it like a a class in school well i'm going to get to the end of this thing i'm going to take the final and i'm going to ace this thing and smooth sailing from here on out well life is a series of those exams Just about the time you think you got it figured out, something else comes up and it just hits you the wrong way and what you want to do is smack somebody in the mouth. (laughs) Isn't that, I mean, that's just honest, isn't it? Isn't it truth? And the only power we have against that is the Lord. As Christians, we have to look at things differently than the world does. We're not free to say the things that everybody else does. We're not free to have the same comebacks that everybody else has. We're not free to look at things the way everybody else looks at things. You can have a world view or you can have a biblical view, a Christian view, but you can't do both. It just doesn't work having both. I wanna read something to you out of 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, because Samuel wanted to pick out the new king, right? And he had his eyes on the football player, one of of, uh, David's brothers, a big, strong, good-looking guy. And this is what the Lord said to Samuel. He says, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All you've got to do is go on any of the social media and realize the world does not look at the heart. Everybody's got to have the airbrushed picture. The AI generated of what you think you might want to look at and not the one with all the pimples <laughs> and the imperfections and the lines and the scars. You're not going to put that up on your social media, are you? It just doesn't happen that way. So Paul's telling the church you're using carnal methods to judge his office and to judge his authority. But he tells them he's not going to fight on that level because he has weapons that they know very little or nothing about. So we begin to learn about what these weapons are. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul responding in the spirit. He says, Now I, Paul, myself, I am pleading with you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. The meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Smacking somebody in the face is not the gentleness and meekness of Christ. Yelling and screaming at them, always accusing them, always putting them down. That is not the meekness and the gentleness of Jesus Christ. That's our old flesh coming back in who in presence, talking about himself, because they have accused him of this, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent I am bold towards you. A little tongue in cheek there, don't you think? But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. In other words, he's going to face some of the sin head on who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. In other words, there are those that are not giving him any credit as being an apostle. Not giving him any credit as being their father in the Lord, if you will. They're just not looking at things the way God would look at them. When he talks about, youth, and he talks about older people, and he talks about respect, and he talks about honor, and God's chain of command, if you will, this upside-down pyramid where, you know, the greatest is the servant, not the one who has all the money or the best looks, but the servant of God, the one who's learned how to serve the Lord he made sure that he used his proper name. I don't know if you saw that, but he used his proper name, which was Paul, which means what? Little. Pebble. Little pebble. Paul. So instead of puffing himself up and demanding, he uses this little word. One of the sure-fired ways of losing in the spirit is to end up thinking too highly of ourselves. Who are you to say that to me? Well, he's a Christian. They're a Christian, they're a born-again Christian, they have Jesus Christ in their heart. And if you know that they love you, then you know that this was hard for them to come and say those things. There's always going to be someone to kick you off the ladder, because sometimes God will allow it. Now why would God allow the ladder to be kicked off from under us? Too much pride? Too much pride. Satan loves it, by the way. Satan loves it because he gets to see how we're going to react. He gets us to say things we shouldn't say, to do things we shouldn't do, to not act like God's kids, but act like everybody else does in the world. And he's got to have a big old grin when we do that kind of stuff. Matthew 23, 12 says this, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be... Exalted. And what a reversal from the world, right? From the the world, as much money as you can get, as much position as you can possibly get. You rise up the the ladder to the highest ranks and you demand respect because of all the things that really mean nothing at all. But God takes us. (laughs) He takes people like us, broken people people who didn't have the benefit of being raised in a, in a balanced home possibly or have been hurt or victimized. He takes the wounded and he loves them in and he brings them in and he begins to do a work in their heart and in their life. And we begin to hear things like, hey, you have a purpose. We begin to hear like, you were not an accident. We begin to hear things that this can all be turned around if we'll allow him to do it. That one day we can look back on the things that occurred to us and say, you know what? I wouldn't change a thing. I know some of you are going, boy, I would. But I think you eventually get to a place where you go, that all made me who I am. That caused me to look at life differently. It caused me to have compassion where I had no compassion. It caused me to love those I didn't love before. It's brought me closer to the Lord. Paul never tried to build a name for himself. That wasn't in his. One of the things that, I, that I'm absolutely sure of, if you wanna be depressed, is try to build a name for yourself seeking honor seeking to be someone that we're not you will be depressed probably your whole life because people are not going to see you the way you see you they're going to be kicking that louder ladder excuse me off from under you Paul didn't try to build a name for himself. He wanted people to trust in the Lord, not in Paul. Yes, Paul had given him an apostleship. He was to be respected because that came from the Lord. But he wasn't out there trying to make a name for himself. Everywhere he went, these guys suffered immensely the traveling methods that they had going from place to place to place, sometimes probably without food, sleeping out in the open, They suffered. Why? Because they wanted people to know about Jesus, and that was worth them not being lifted up. So this absence of self-promotion—it's completely unlike the world system. Have you ever? Well, of course you have. But uh, have you ever gone in for an interview for a job, and you have to make out that resume? That's a piece of garbage, isn't it? (laughs) I'm wonderful. They should just have one line that says, I'm wonderful, you need me. (laughs) But instead, it's become a game. You got to put everything that you've ever done that even amounts to a little bit of something on there to make them want you. And then they have tricky questions that they ask you in an interview to try to stumble around and find out who you really are. Kind of like dating. You know, (laughs) trying to find out who that person really is. But, you know, if the world operated the way the Lord did, you could go in and say, "Um, I will do my best. I will work hard for you, and I'll be an honest man or a woman. That should be all that we need to do. And granted, you may get fired two weeks later if you can't do the job. But I mean, at least it would be honest, wouldn't it? At least it would be honest. So, the world made this mistake with Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. it says this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest. Man, don't you want rest? Have you been fighting your whole life? Trying to get ahead. Trying to be somebody. Trying to do something. Trying to have other people give you worth. Doesn't happen, does it? It just doesn't happen that way. Not unless you have somehow managed to master the skills that the world is looking for. And in doing that, sometimes you have to become a person you're not. They made that mistake with Jesus. They thought because he was gentle that he was powerless. He was so strong, he told Pilate, the man that thought he held Jesus' hand in his palm, what did he say? Jesus said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. (laughs) I mean, here's a guy, from the world's point of view, he holds Jesus' life in his hands. And Jesus is so confident in God that he can say, I'm sorry, but you ain't nothing. If God's given you this power, it's there. But you need to know it comes from God. You're not the one that holds that power. God has given it to you. He also said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I know for Christians, they're probably wondering right now, what's going to happen? Well, God's church is going to continue to be built. And it's going to prevail as it always has. And then someday he's going to come and take us home. And we're going to live eternally with him. There really is not anything this world has to offer that's lasting or that makes you feel like a human being. That makes you feel good about having a God that loves you. Paul had realized this point, very important point for fighting in the spirit. Second Corinthians 2.9 says, for my grace is what? Sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in. What? How come everybody's going to the gym? <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. I, I have nothing against the gym. But some people live there. I think they have their food ordered in. And if you see any pictures of people working out, what do they look like? They don't look like me. And they probably don't look like you. Strength is made in weakness. Now, what does that mean? Was Jesus weak? No. It's in knowing where the source of power is. And it's not in punching somebody out. It's not even in letting them have the power to make us angry. To make us mad because now they've succeeded in controlling my life. Weakness. Therefore, I will gladly boast of my infirmities, Paul says, that the power of Christ may rest in me. I want the power of Christ. I don't want that other power, I want the power of Jesus Christ. I want the power of his word. I want the power of his love. All right, let's look at the next one. Here's Paul's answer to their accusations. Look at verses 3 through 6 with me, please. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty. They're mighty. In God for the pulling down of strongholds. You know what's the strongholds He's talking about? Evil. The ranks of evil. What's going on in our world, must much of it is just flat out pure evil. That's what we're up against. And that battle is not going to be won by tanks. Not gonna be won by nuclear weapons, it's gonna be won by Christians on their knees praying for those in leadership all over the world and what's going on all over the world. We know they're not gonna win, right? They can do a lot of destruction between now and then, but we know they're not gonna win because Christ has already won that war. He says, "I I have weapons you don't even know about. I have power that you're minimizing. They're mighty for the pulling down of these strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity at the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul's saying, The power of God is not to be trifled with. Guys, I need to say this. This is God's church. It's not mine. It's not Pastor Dan's. It's our church family, but the church itself, Jesus Christ gave his life for it. It's his. So if we hurt each other, we're hurting him. If we're getting together and gossiping about something that the pastors aren't doing, we're not hurting each other. We're hurting the work of Jesus Christ. We're hurting his church. He died for it, and we're destroying it. What is going on with that? We've got to lift our eyes and our hearts a little higher and say, this is not productive. Doing that kind of stuff is not productive, and I'm not, just, I'm not just hurting an individual or a couple individuals to prove that they're not perfect. No one says we, anyone is. But what I'm really doing is I'm hurting God. I'm hurting the Lord. This is what Paul's trying to get across to the church in Corinth. You're hurting the work of God by allowing this kind of stuff. That word warfare, it actually means campaign. You know, you've heard that used before in war terminology, right? A campaign against this government or whatever it might be. In other words, the battles in Corinth were only a small part, a small part of a much larger evil campaign. What's going on around us is a small part of a much larger campaign of evil. And we're starting to see it spread throughout the entire world. Like a cancer, the Lord gives us a little better picture in Ephesians six twelve. It says, "For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now it's important that we understand what does he mean. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Have you seen some of these pro wrestlers? Man, they, they really they pretty much beat each other to death, and it's exhausting. You watch these guys. They're fighting for their life, right? And it's exhausting. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And yet, why do we spend so much time trying to measure up to people? To each other. Put one down so we feel better. (laughs) You know, that's back to the finger pointing out and three of them pointing back. Thing the the log in the eye kind of thing we're all imperfect guys we're all broken but we don't wrestle against the flesh and blood what we really wrestle against is principalities these are evil demons principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age Satan has a rank and file too And that's what we're wrestling against. He says, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you imagine how much damage we could do to Satan's work if we all loved each other and prayed against the evil instead of each other? Now folks, I wanna clarify. I don't see this going on in our church much. We have a good bunch of folks that do love each other. But it is a warning for us. And it shows us how we're supposed to deal with these things. You know what one of the biggest strongholds of Satan is? Pride. That's what makes us respond. And I'm not much of one to say, you know, the way you were raised determines... Yes, it does. But that's not an excuse. If you've been through hardships and you were raised a certain way, it means that you've got to work twice as hard and listen twice as much to the Word of God and say, Yes, sir, as maybe the other person does. But you still, it's not an excuse to remain that way. God loves you with all of your imperfections, with all the pimples, with all the scars, with all of the wrinkles, with all of the things that you don't do right, God sent Jesus Christ to the cross because he loves you. That makes you someone. And you know, that should be just about all we need right there, is to know that the Lord loves us. But pride exalts itself against God And it exalts itself against the knowledge of the Lord because we know he was humble. So when we go the other direction, we know we're fighting against the Lord. And that pride must be humbled before every thought can be uh, brought into captivity. What do I mean by that? We need to slide in on our belly in front of the Lord and say, God, I don't deserve anything. But (laughs) I sure could use some help here. I don't want to respond that way. I don't want to be that individual. I want to mature. I want to grow. I don't want to be that person. Remember, it was pride that messed up Lucifer and a third of the angels. They were kicked out of heaven because of their pride. Wanting to be like God. That's nothing but just pride. Every breath is a gift, isn't it? How can we be so full of pride? I know, that I don't mean to be crass here. But I, but I think God has a sense of humor. Everybody has to use the bathroom. That's all I'm saying. Next time you think you're something, just remember. God could have created any other way, right? But he didn't. Why? Because that's the time for you to sit there and think, this is who I am. This is who I am. So any value that comes out of me is because of Jesus Christ. How cool is that? How cool is that? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Okay. If Jesus had reacted in pride, he would have been playing right into Satan's hands. But he didn't. Instead, he fought that battle with humility and he fought it with lowliness When the offers were made by Satan to satisfy Jesus' flesh, he simply turned them all down. Now you might say, well, money, that wouldn't happen with me. I wouldn't do that. Well, let me ask you, going back to Pastor Dan's teaching, what about when it calls for giving your money to help out people and the church? (laughs) No way, that's mine. That's mine. I worked all week for that. That's mine. You ain't getting any of it. But that's just one part of it. I was, we were talking in the men's study. It's funny because if, let's just say, going back to that teaching, that uh, we tithe. Whatever amount you've worked out with God, you tithe. Well, how about if you get a check out of the blue for $50,000? An inheritance. I I didn't have any family that ever had $50,000. But let's just say you got an inheritance for $50,000. Now giving 10% is a big deal. If you want to see your flesh kick in, that, it will kick in at that point in time. And controlling that Controlling that, well, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna give some of this to here and I'm gonna give some of this to here and, and I'm gonna make sure they know it. Like when I, when I do it, I'm gonna make sure that they, that they know it was me that did it. You see, that, that's where pride all starts kicking in again. The widow with the with the, the mite, you know, the penny that she threw in. And the scripture's saying, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. All, all of those things. I only say that because being human is a bummer. (laughs) A lot of times being a human just leads us in a path of our old self, our old nature. But the reality of it is if it costs me nothing, when David was gonna buy the threshing floor to build the new temple on, right? Aruna, the guy that owned it, he says, I'll just give it to you. David said, no, I won't give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Wow. Wow. All right, let's keep moving. If Paul had reacted to their accusations in the flesh, now he is going to give us somewhat of a defense, but he would have misrepresented the Lord. He didn't want to misrepresent the Lord. And Christians may have to live in this flesh, but we don't have to let it be our master. Yes. Now we live in this world, but we're told not to be of this world. We, we've got to try to get to the place where we, it's not our master anymore. It doesn't dictate to us what we will do and what we won't do when it comes to the things of the Lord. And we must fight that battle in the spirit. If we fight it in the flesh, we're going to lose. Every single time. Even though it may appear as though you've won, you're going to lose. Because if you win that battle between a brother or sister and the Lord, and you can go home and say, well I, well, I won that one. No, you didn't. Because that, you, you probably ruined the relationship between them. All right, let's look at how to use that spiritual authority, and I've got to move on. Let's look. Verse 7 through 11, it says, Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider that, consider this in himself or about himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ." For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for building you up and not tearing you down, for edification, not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed. He says, "I'm not. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. Trying to help you." That's what a good parent does. That's what training is all about. That's what making disciples is all about. Least it seemed to terrify you by my letters. For his letters, you say, are weighty and powerful, but his godly presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Contemptible. Well, everything that I read that Paul's written, I find to be pretty awesome. But he must have had a lisp. Or maybe he stuttered was something about his speech that they could pick it apart. Not looking at God, not seeing that God had anointed this man, they were looking at him. Why were they looking at him and why were they trying to pick him apart? Because they did not want to do the things that God had told them to do through Paul. So they found an excuse. If you've ever had children, you know how this works. Clean up your room. Oh, I yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no problem. I, I'll get right on that. And they're gone to a friend's house. And we sometimes we do it too, not just just children. Okay, Gail Irwin in his book The Jesus Style. I r- highly recommend you read it if you haven't. He talks about this upside down kingdom because, like I said before, the world man they're all about position and authority. What's going on right now? It's really not, I mean, money is involved. Lots and lots of money is involved. But that's just to get the power that certain people want. They're trying to buy that power and buy that authority. But in Matthew verse chapter 10, verse 41, it says, And when they ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Because James and John were going, Oh, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, you or me? I bet you I get a higher position than you do. They didn't even completely understand the kingdom of God at this point in time. So the other disciples are listening to this and they're going, they're upset with them. It displeased them. And it says in 42, but Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And what does it mean lording it over them? That means they force it upon them. They make them do that whether they want to or not. Sound familiar? They lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. In other words, they have a chain of command, and all of them are tyrants. Yet, he says, It shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. There it is again. <laughs> If a husband and wife could understand this, it would eliminate 95% of the problems in a marriage. Will you get me a drink of water, please? Who do you think you are? Are your arms painted on? You get up and get your own glass of wine. I've worked all day long. What are you doing? Sitting on the couch eating bonbons. if we realize that we got we got we took the world's view of marriage not God's ladies you're being misrepresented today in the world you're being misrepresented as weak and not the way you think they think that if you go out and conquer the world that that's what being a woman is. Same thing with a guy, you go out and conquer the world, that's what a real man is. But that's not what God says. We pull that into our marriages now. We do, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm your husband. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm your wife. Now, I'm not saying you ought to bark that out, but what I'm saying is marriage is an institution by where you learn to serve, by which you learn to serve. That's what a marriage is. When you get into a marriage, it's a place to serve each other. To be concerned for each other. To appreciate each other. To not just think about all you do, but think about what the other person does also. Man, if we could get that in the world, what a great world it would be. To where we consider each other and consider what that brother or that sister has gone through to get where they're at today. Maybe they're not where they need to be yet, but think about what they've gone through to get to here. Sometimes it's been a a journey. A mature Christian uses authority to grow. They use it to grow themselves and to grow those folks that he serves. I'm almost done here, folks. The immature Christian just swells with the use use of authority. I've seen it over and over and over again. For some people, if you give them a position of authority, man, they they just become, they're awesome. And for some people, you give them that position of authority and they don't, they don't know how to handle it. It gets to their head and, and that's why some of you guys have tyrant bosses. They get a little bit of authority and now it's, you know, they can wield the uh, sword with anybody they want. Hire and fire them and, but there's no Compassion. So if authority is given, if you're in one of those spots, you have a higher calling to be like Jesus. Power under control. Power under control. He warned Timothy about this in selecting elders. He said in 1 Timothy 3.6, Don't do this to a new convert. In other words, don't make an elder or a deacon out of a new convert, somebody who's just gotten saved, so that they will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. They're just not quite at a place yet, because that authority may just mess them up. You see, one of the things as a a shepherd, or all of us, we've got to be concerned with not just filling a spot, but... Filling a spot with someone that you're going to end up hurting in the long run because you know they're not ready for it. That's why you don't give your kids the keys at 12 to the car. They're just not, they're not ready for it. You're not against them. You want them to, to be ready for it. When they turn 16, if they're mature and handle it, you, you give them the keys. You don't want to have to drive them around everywhere, right? But if they can't handle it, why would you do that? That would be destruction. You don't, you don't want to do it. Immaturity will act quickly to relieve its own pain at the risk of hurting other people. I want to say that again because I think it's pretty important. Immaturity will act quickly to relieve its own pain at the risk of hurting other people. I just heard something. It's made me hurt. I need to get on the phone right now and give them what for? No, you don't probably the worst possible time ever for you to make that phone call. Just chill, relax, see what God might do. Jesus didn't say, wash my feet. What did he do? He put on his work clothes and he washed the disciples' feet. Oh, boy. God, may you give us all that heart. We, we don't have it naturally. So God, may you give us that heart may you give us that heart to not think so much of ourselves but to think of other people, to care about other people, to be a servant and not consider that beneath us but an honor to be able to do that. For you ladies that work and even the ladies who stay at home, you've you've spent your lifetime serving other people. And guys too, I don't wanna eliminate them. But you've served you've spent your whole life serving other people. And if you're a Christian, you've done your best to try to do it in the Lord. That's to be commended, but not by the world standards, you're not going to find it. It's just not going to happen. All right, I want to close this up. How is spiritual ministry evaluated? Look at what Paul says in verse 10. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. You know what that is? That's a gossip group. That's a group of people who get together to talk about other people and their imperfections, that's what that is. They're comparing themselves among themselves and if they compare themselves among themselves, they think they have the right to judge everybody else. But he says it's not wise, it's not smart, it's not smart to do that. Again, we need to go back to our imperfections. People are growing, they're they're on a journey Now, if God does something cool, how do you measure a miracle? Pretty hard to judge a miracle, isn't it? But one thing I can promise you is if God does something cool in your life, it probably wasn't because of you. It was probably in spite of you. (laughs) Again, he's God. We're not. He's perfect. We're not. So we have to be very, very careful that we don't reach out and grab that glory. But we turn all of that back to the Lord. If it's his work, then it's a miracle. And if it's a miracle, we can't really measure that because God's measuring stick is much different than ours. And as I close here, I want to point out the seven churches in the book of Revelation. They perceived themselves to be one way, but the Lord saw them in a completely different way. Have you noticed that? He told the poor church that they were rich. He told the church that boasted of riches, and he, they, he said that they were poor. God doesn't look at things the way we do. Christians, we all, often measure our walks by how some other Christian is walking, and that's the, wrong, that's the wrong place. That's the wrong place. Does your heart break when you see someone struggling? Are you judgmental about it? our heart should break because they're trying. If they show up here or any other church and they're part of your church family, they're trying. Otherwise, they wouldn't show up at all. They're trying. We should be as encouraging to them as we possibly can. Now, it may be that you're going through the biggest trial of your life, And it may be that in the biggest trial of your life, you're growing the most, but it hurts. It usually does. If you're going to cut out a cancer, usually that's through operation. And it hurts. And then there's a recovery time on top of that. But you learn so much. We learn a lot through the trials of life. But there may be some times where we're hurting so much we just need to sit down. We just need to take a break and let God do the healing. And then when that's done, we get back in. But a church, if, if they're not careful, regardless of the size, it can just be a social club for the spiritually lame. What do you mean by that? Well, that's kind of what the church in Corinth had become they were blaming everybody else for all of their issues, but they weren't growing, even though they had somebody who really loved them, had the authority of God, had been anointed by God to help them grow, but they didn't like, they didn't like what was being said. All right, guys, I'm running out of time, but basically, let me summarize the last part of this. Paul just basically says that for them, it wasn't without cost. What what they did in going to the other churches, some people might think, oh, that's a that's a wonderful thing, man. They got to travel. Do you know what travel was like at that point in time? You ever had to do two or three layovers and, and, and you're like, Well, this is the worst flight I've ever had in my life. Well imagine being in a ship and traveling that way with mice down at the bottom of the hull and you know, everything else going on. That was that was not an easy thing, but he did it. They did it because they love Jesus Christ. Isn't that why we serve? Yes. Is because we love Jesus. Yes. But know and understand, there's going to be some blood spilled along the way. It may be your, be your brother and sister, or it may be you, because we're not perfect. We like it all packaged up nice, but but a hospital's got people running in all kinds of different directions and codes and uh, lights going off and nurses running everywhere. It can be a messy place. But thank God for the nurses Amen. and the doctors who do that when we need them and they're there. Amen. All right. I will give you verse 18 where it says, well, let me jump back up to to uh, 17. He says, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself that is approved, but whom God commends, or the one who God approves. We want to be approved of God, don't we? We want to be a blessing to the Lord. When our children grow up to a certain point, and they express their love back to you maybe they didn't during a lot of years but when they do express their love to you they come and see you and they remember your birthday isn't that doesn't that just make your heart and your heart just kind of explodes when you love somebody that's that's what you do you come home you're you're a part of that you love them for what is going on and even for the hard times you begin to see it wasn't easy for them either because you begin to look at life in a much, much different way. All right, so here's a couple of questions I'm going to ask. Am I where the Lord wants me to be? Now, that might be a different church. I, I hope God's called you here. But I also hope that you've asked God that question. But even on top of that, and that is, am I, am I where I'm supposed to be spiritually? You know, has God been mentioning some things to me and I just kind of take a, uh, a worldly approach to it? And go, uh, do I serve? Do I give my heart to the service of the Lord? Because it's not, you're not serving central, you're serving Jesus. Yes. Whether it's with the children or it's anything you do around here, you're doing that as unto the Lord. It's like Mary, you know, pouring the anointing oil and wiping it with her hair you're doing that because you love Jesus here's the next one is God honored and glorified in my service in other words do I do it with a joyful heart or do I complain about it all the time do I do it with a joyful heart and I mentioned this before can God commend us and that word commend means to approve of by testing you know are we still in it To win it with Jesus. Not necessarily the world, but with Jesus. Okay, so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We must learn to fight in the spirit. Every Christian has some spiritual authority because Jesus Christ lives in your heart, but we need to not use it to destroy anyone else. We need to be a servant, not a commander, and we must evaluate our lives and our ministry by the scars and not the stars. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you in in your name. We ask that you might minister to our hearts. And Lord, I pray for anybody here that you're working on, that they would be bold enough to respond to that. We're not perfect, but we serve a perfect God. And Lord, we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful that you love us, that even when we mess up, we have a father, a good, good father that we can go to and talk to. And, And you guide us and you direct us. Yes, sometimes you correct us, but you're always doing it in love so as we close folks if you're here this morning and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ but you want to I would love to pray with you but the only way I can know that is if you raise your hand so if you're here this morning and you say I'm ready I'm ready to give my heart to the Lord if you'll raise your hand I'll pray with you anybody ready for that this morning here's my second prayer if you are a child of God, but you've been away from God, you know, the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter, you, you, you gave your life to him, but you just haven't been following him. You've kind of been doing your own thing. But God's working on you. You see, he's, he didn't step away, we did. So he's working on us, always. And if he's saying, hey, you need to come home, the, the, the life that you're pursuing out there is not going to make you happy, it never will but he's he's bringing you home, he's telling you he loves you and asking you to come home. Anybody here this morning would say, that's me, I'm the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter and I just need to come home. There's things in my life that shouldn't be there and I need to get them squared away with the Lord. Raise your hand if that's true. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy towards us. Again, we're so grateful of how beautiful and how wonderful you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.